0: goodness. Young adults, that was marvelous. I love that worship. That was just, yeah. So, so, so good. What an amazing time to be alive. Can you believe we're allowed to be alive in this moment? I mean, just the things that God's doing are extraordinary. I mean, just yesterday, Sally and I met with a, a, a church planting team in Australia, the leadership of a church planting team in France, a church planting team in South Africa. We did a leadership training in Switzerland, and that was all before lunch. <laughs> uh, it, it's just what incredible moment in history where we can touch the, the, the whole earth with his presence and, you know, just... You know, we, we we struggle against what the enemy does, but the reality is, God is using this season to explode the life of the kingdom in ways that we've not we just not even imagined before. And what a privilege to be part of it! It's just so 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 much fun. I want to want to spend the time this morning talking about a little phrase that has been sitting on me for probably three months. And that little phrase is bend us. Bend us. Could you put that picture up? Yeah. Doesn't that look painful? (laughs) How many of you feel like that's the season you're in right now? It just just feels like... I know Philip and I have walked in obedience this last few weeks and... In January, the house next to his house burned, and we both just felt like the Holy Spirit said we were to, to renovate it, and uh, it had some personal things to it. The original maintenance person for this building, who actually installed the boiler system downstairs, was the one that owned that house. And he and his wife lived there. They celebrated their 70th anniversary in that home. And uh, the home was sold after they both, both had passed. And actually, they were when they moved from this building to the new high street building, they were still the maintenance, janitorial staff in the new building. And uh, it just felt like an investment in the history for us to get that, get that done. The, the only thing is my body hasn't done some of those things. <laughs> in quite a few years, and I felt bent many days when my back and my legs and my, like, oh, Lord Jesus, I'm not as young as I used to be. Mm. The phrase bend us comes from a prayer that is best known for Evan Roberts. Um, Evan Roberts, who was the author or the kind of originator of the Welsh Revival, was praying for revival, had been praying for, for several years for revival, and He kept hearing this word, 100,000. But in his heart, there was just, he just wasn't able to get past the circumstances, get past his history. He had never seen that many people saved. Uh, the, The society he was in looked in total chaos, completely godless. It was just in a wreck. Everything about the environment didn't give him reason to believe for 100,000 souls. And he went to a meeting, and, and, and a guy by the name of Josh, uh, Seth Joshua was praying. Uh, he was leading the meeting, actually was praying. And in the prayer, he made the statement, bend us, Lord. And the moment he made that statement, the Holy Spirit spoke to Evan Roberts and said, that's exactly what you need. And so Evan began to pray this prayer. He began to pray, bend me, Lord, bend the church and save the world. Bend me, Lord, bend the church and save the world. And that became the, that became the intercession that led up to the birth of the whole of the Welsh Revival. More than 100,000 souls came in in a very short period of time as the Holy Spirit moved across the nation. But, but what birthed it was a bending of a man of God. And, and I just believe we're in a season where God is desiring us to be bent. And I love the, the young adult worship team. It has Our young adults who've been bent to a passion for his presence. And they, because they're bent, they usher in the presence of God. It, it, they perform well, but it's not about performance. It's about being bent to his presence. There, there's something needs to happen in us. In the Welsh language, the, the word bent meant to submit and lay down resistance. To submit and lay down resistance. So when we talk about being bent, we're not just talking about our bodies contorting, which we need to do a little bit more of that in exercise. We're talking about a surrender of our will uh, specifically When we pray, bend us, it's a voluntary submission to God and a deliberate dismantling of any resistance. So we're, we're surrendering ourselves, we're in submission to Him, but we're also taking down those pieces of resistance in us where we would resist what He asks of us. I, I, I don't know if you feel resistance in you, but there, there's, there's, I can look back at moments in my life where there was just this, oh God, I don't want to do that. And you knew he's speaking it. You knew he wants you to do it. But we've got to get past that resistance and into a place where we fully surrender to his will. Um, we, we looked at this verse last time, and I want to tie this into the, 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 what we did a couple of weeks ago on duty and delight. But it said, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, so many of us want the desires of our heart without the delighting in him. And the Hebrew word there we looked at last time means to to be pleased with, to desire, to take pleasure in. The, the word literally means to bend. In fact, 73 times in the Old Testament, 73 times that word delight or bend is used. And I just want to throw a few of these at you just because they're incredibly important. When we delight in him, there are certain things that happen. In fact, it affects the whole of our life. And I just went through a few of them. Uh, as I was prepping for this but uh, when we delight in him it pulls us out of depression anybody struggle with depression? when you delight in him it literally pulls you out of depression Um, if you delight in him it restores our hope There's a restoration, no matter what's going on around you, no matter what circumstances say, no matter what isn't happening that you think should be happening, no matter what attack is coming, no matter what schemes going on, when we delight in him, it literally restores our hope. So you can be in the middle of chaos, delight in him and be hopeful because of that presence of him. Um, Delight in him releases favor over our lives. Do you need favor at work? Do you need favor in your job? Do you need favor in your family? Do you need favor dealing with a legal issue? If you need a favor, one of the ways to get favor is to delight in him. And actually the act of delight in him releases favor back into your life. Um, it activates the prophetic word. If you've got a prophetic word over your life that you've not seen that prophetic word coming into manifestation, delight in him and that word begins to grow and, and, and it begins to develop in you and there's something happens in your, in your insides where you can actually begin to walk in those prophetic promises that you've been called to. Um, when we delight in him, it multiplies the seed we sow. There's a direct connection between giving your offerings and giving your tithes and sowing in the kingdom, what Nate just shared is so incredibly important. God's called Sally and I into a season of the greatest generosity we have ever experienced, and He keeps filling the bucket faster than we can give it out. And it's the most incredible thing. I mean, he, he's, he's just it's, it's a season of generosity where generosity comes from a place. It doesn't just come from obedience, it comes from delight. It comes from being bent close to Him where there's an intimacy and there's an interaction with his presence. I believe there's a desperate need in the United States right now for the church of Jesus Christ to be bent. Every believer to be bent. And the more the more we're bent, the closer we get to him, the more intimate we are with him, the more we fellowship with him. Um, when we delight in him, it fuels our faith for the harvest. Um... It, this is a season of harvest. We're in one of the greatest harvests in history. Uh, Bill Johnson put out something the other day, and I, I should have probably had that on the screen, but he put out this thing that, you know, we're in the middle of the greatest revival we've ever experienced in our lifetime, but the way that's going to be pushed forward in this next season is through family it's just, it's it's family that God's using the family. It's using this belonging. He's using this being together to then propel it to the next level. But we get to that with delight. We get to that with our own intimacy and walk. Um, delight in him secures our inheritance. You ever struggled with an inheritance? You ever struggled with things that got lost in previous generations and you want to believe for those to come back in this generation, delight in him and watch him work. Watch him do what's impossible. Delight in him restores our joy and peace. Delight in him reminds us what God has done. You, you just go through, there, there's, it's almost 50-50 split in, in the Old Testament. About 50% of the delights are if you delight in the wrong thing, there are consequences. And the other half of the delights are if you delight in the right thing, there are also consequences. So choose to delight in the right things right now. Because if we're not careful, we can be delighting in the wrong things. We can be leaning into the wrong things. And we end up with the exact opposite of the promises that God's brought for us. I remember Sally and I in 1971, and I, I, I actually think it was just before we got married. I think it was actually the only date that we did in our courtship that wasn't ministry. Um, every, um, literally almost every day was either ministering in rest homes or jails. That's just the way God put us together. We've ministered that way all our lives. But the only one that wasn't ministry is, we went to a concert at a big Baptist church and two singers, Robert Hale and Dean Wilder, a tenor and a bass, operatic tenor and bass, sang a song, Sweet Will of God, and I was wrecked in that meeting. I was bent in that meeting more powerfully than probably at any other moment in our life. And, and the, the, the words are incredible and we'll sing it sometime, but it just, my, my stubborn will at last has yielded. I would be thine and thine alone. And that little phrase has lived in me for 50 years. That just, my stubborn will. I didn't think I had a stubborn will. Then you forgot you do have a stubborn will. And, 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 you know, the the bending of God is to move us away from our stubborn will and bring our will into submission to his will. As I've just been meditating this last week on that song on that night, I felt like the Holy Spirit showed me four things that we learned that night. Um, number one, we've got to be bent until the Father's will becomes our will. I, I need to be bent. I need to lean in him so closely. that his will becomes my will and my, my will literally takes second place. It's, you know, you know, Jesus in the garden is being bent when he says, Father, if there's any way to do this, you know, take this from me, but not my will, but your wills. He's being bent to the Father's will, knowing that it's being bent to the cross. He's being bent to what's about to happen. The second part in that, for me, was we've got to be bent until our heart is his heart. So it's not just an external response. It's an internal response to his will. Number three, we've got to be bent until his words become our words. Number four, we've got to be bent until his victory becomes our victory. We're going to look at these for the next few minutes this morning. But before we do do that, I just want to talk about this thing being bent. Put that picture back up for me. If you bend or try to bend brittle wood, it'll break. And God's purpose is not to break us. You know, it, it is to, to break our will, but it's not to break our spirit. It's to bring us into surrender to him. So if you want to make wood do what those hands are making wood do, what you do is you stick the wood in a steam cabinet. And you just turn the heat up. And you let that wood sit in a steam cabinet until... The, the moisture soaks into every fiber of the world It's so hot you have to have gloves on to work with it. And then when you pull it out of that steam closet, it's ready to be bent into whatever shape you desire. That's exactly how we are bent. We're not bent by an external conformity to a set of rules. We're bent by coming so close to his heart and his presence that the very, the very heat of the intimacy with him begins to conform us and shape us into his image so that we're bent to be more and more like him. The bending is intimacy, it's not force. The bending is intimacy, it's not force. For too long... The church has tried to force a certain set of behaviors to, to make us acceptable to a religious standard. But if you don't be, if you aren't bent from his presence, you won't bend permanently. See, when you steam bend wood, when he when he finishes with what it, the bending is going on right there, when you steam bend wood, it literally, once it, it cools, it stays in the shape it was conformed to. So you go into his presence, you're bent into his shape and you come out and you retain the shape of the intimacy you just encountered. To be bent is to walk in such close communion and intimacy with him that we then fully reflect his character and nature because that's what exudes from us. We've got to be bent until his will becomes our will. I just want to look at those four statements. David said, I delight to do your will, O God. Thy law is within my heart. I don't know if you ever look at Old Testament scriptures and, and you wonder at the revelation of a David who is living under the law, where the law is external. But the revelation comes to him that it's all about your heart. Your law, external, has been taken into my heart and it's actually become part of my nature. Isn't that the beauty of the new covenant? The external law becomes the internal work of the spirit. There, there's that law written on, on our hearts. And David is getting that revelation in the, in the act of under the old covenant. He understands the new covenant and he literally anticipates. The, the new covenant life where this thing is now in my heart and his heart responds and God can look at him and say he's a man after my heart because he's been shaped by intimacy to represent fully who his father is. As a church, we're in a desperate need right now of being bent. We're desperate need to get who he is, who God is, his nature, into us as believers so that we correctly represent him to the world around us. Psalms 1, David wrote, his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. If, if we're gonna be bent, we get bent because we get into his word and we get into the spirit and we develop a fellowship with the spirit that draws us into an intimacy where we just stay in that place of communion with him and we're not, we're, we're not fighting his will because we're too close to him to fight it anymore. There's just something happens in that place of intimacy that draws us closer and closer and closer. When Evan began to pray they, uh, that, that his prayer, bend me Lord, bend the church and save the world. When he began to pray that prayer, You can actually, in his diary and in his letters that he wrote following that, you, you you can begin to hear the sound of a person that had been bent. To his sister he wrote this. He wrote, you must put yourself entirely at the Holy Spirit's disposal. What happened to a man that begins to believe for a revival and then prays, bend me, And he suddenly has that revelation. I've got to be entirely at the Holy Spirit's disposal. Not occasionally. Not when it's convenient. Not when I'm in a meeting. Not when everybody else is looking. I've got to be entirely at the Holy Spirit's disposal. What would it look like for a Noah to be entirely at the Holy Spirit's disposal? He wrote his brother and said, we must obey the Holy Spirit's promptings even in the smallest things. What's happening? A, a, a man of God a, 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 and a leader in the body is being so bent to intimacy with the Spirit that he's beginning to communicate language. What, what would it look like for a Mali to live with obedience to the Spirit in the smallest things. I'm picking on you today, you did so good. What does that look like? What does that look like? You know, Evan's perspective is changing He's no longer looking at the chaos in his society. He's no longer looking at what he hasn't experienced. He's shifted out of the natural realm and he's beginning to look into the spiritual realm and he's finding life and hope and expectancy and and future. There's something happening and we're not seeing it in this realm yet but we're seeing it in that realm and and he has the, the courage to draw that into this realm begin to see the release of revival in the nation, literally shift to the nation. When his will becomes our will, just just taking that Psalms two verse. When his will becomes our will, we become like that tree planted by the rivers of water. There's just this unending supply of the life of God coming into there's no lack. There's no there's no season where there isn't enough because we've been bent. How many of you like to be bent? a voluntary process. Incredibly oh man. Phil and I had to get under the house last week and mostly I let Philip do that but there was one little job that I kind of wanted to do. So I took this body through the hatch and around the corner and I did the little job and then I had to get out. Yes, Lord. Sally made me promise I wouldn't do that again. <laughs> I haven't quite promised yet, but I'm probably close. <laughs> Number two, we've got to be bent until his heart becomes our heart. Give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. This is the key to that duty and delight message we spoke two weeks ago. You know, it's a heart response. I remember um, the story's been told by everybody, but I remember my dad used this story very frequently on me about the little boy in church that was told to sit down. And he eventually obeyed and sat down. Then he turned to his parents and said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And there's so many of us obeying sitting down, but standing up on the inside. And that's not heart. It, my heart is only connected when I'm sitting down on the outside and the inside. When there's a heart response to the will of God that makes me willing to do and be what he's asked me to do in any season, no matter what it costs us. This is really the martyr's mantle was they love his will more than life. They love his presence more than life. Their life no longer counted more than him. God, bend us in this nation so that the body of Christ would begin to love you more than life, so that we would be that people that would fully surrender. We want a heart response. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decision by what his ears hear. When we have have his heart, we're unmoved by our culture, by political correctness, by fear of man, by all the stuff going on around us. We're simply unmoved by it. Because you've been bent to his heart. You've been bent to his desires. You've been bent to who, what he's doing. And, and it stops being about our preference and it becomes about him. Paul talked about the fear of the Lord in Second Corinthians. He, he said, you know, if we know the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. So it, there, one part of being bent is that we delight in the fear of the Lord. We bend into the fear of the Lord. We literally are bent until the fear of the Lord becomes a way we live our life. The fear of the Lord is not our message. Paul, Paul says, you know, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Because we understand judgment, we are desperate to see people come to know Jesus. We, we, we stop, this thing stops being about our comfort or our convenience. And because we know of the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord becomes the motive to share the goodness of God. The fear of the Lord becomes the motive to do the harvest that we're talking about right now. I, I really believe we're, we're in the greatest moment in all of history. There's reports we got on Saturday from South Africa just the things happening under the lockdown during this season are absolutely incredible. The scores of people coming to Jesus are amazing. Why? The external pressure is, is causing a, an openness. And the body of Christ, knowing the fear of the Lord, are beginning to persuade men and women to follow Jesus pulling them out of darkness into light, pulling them out of hell into the kingdom. There's got to be something in us that's driven to do that. Second Peter, we read that the Father's not willing that any should perish. So if my heart is the same as his heart, so that if my heart is the same as his heart, then I can't be willing for any to perish. What motivates the harvest? Not willing for any to perish. But what does that look like? It looks like his will so embedded in our heart that nothing else really matters. Nothing else affects us. Nothing else moves us. When we understand the when we understand his heart, we're literally bent to see the lost save. In nineteen fifty-six, Jim Elliott and some friends went to Ecuador. And they went to a particularly Indian tribe that was under each tribe, and they landed, brought gifts, but they were killed literally on the riverbank where they landed, their plane land. A few years later, Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim, went as a missionary to the same tribe, led the very people that killed her husband to Christ. How do you do that? How do you do that? This is what she wrote. She wrote, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. How do you do that? See, we are so circumstantially driven and we want all the setting to be right. We want the right this and that. We want the right. If we had the right, then we could do. But honestly, we wouldn't do any different than we're doing now unless we're bent. And if we're bent, into his presence and bent into his image and bent into his, his will and bent into his heart, then we're going to be res- begin to respond from that place. And we're going to see an incredible harvest of people around us. We've got to be bent until his words become our words. Thy words were found, and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Are, are his words a delight, delight to you? Notice the word's plural. It's both the, the written word, logos, and it's also the, the spoken word, rhema. Bo, both things are included in this word. Anything God speaks. You know, scripture promises us that my sheep hear my voice. If you're his sheep, you hear his voice. Too often we reduced his voice to reading the word, which I love, and I, I, I'm, I'm a person of the word. I love the word, but I, I'm also a person of the Spirit. I love to hear what the Spirit's saying because the Spirit takes and amplifies and, and, and brings that word to life in us. I remember when I was baptized in the Spirit and opened the Bible for the first time, and I the, the life leapt off the page when it had been just words that i memorized before that somehow his words got to have such an impact us jesus said i only speak the things i hear the father say i don't make up words i speak the words that he gives me to speak you know if we would if we would begin to speak only the words that were given to speak i really believe we would begin to see something quite extraordinary Proverbs 16 says, righteous lips are the delight of kings, and he who speaks right is loved. Now, let's get this in context of the time. The context is, even pagan kings respond. I mean, just think of Daniel, Nehemiah, Joseph. How, how do we, how does someone who doesn't have a revelation of God get a revelation of God? Because somebody that has it gets next to them, and their words have the impact of changing the very nature of the way that person behaves. We can't ask the world to hear what the Spirit says. The world will only hear what the Spirit says when the body of Christ begins to carry those words to them and release those words, but we've got to be careful. Our words need to come from Him, not from our own agendas, not from our own wants, not from our own bias, not from our own ideas. When we speak only His words, we're going to start releasing the grace and truth of kingdom culture. What if the body of Christ, what if Adora only spoke the words would <clears throat> change culture. Finally, we've got to be bent until his victory is our victory. David said this, he said, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. First, I want you to notice that if you go back and check your context, that is not written to the church. It's written to the nation, to the world. The nations are raging and heaven says, be still and know that I am God. Heaven says, be still. So if heaven's saying that, we need to speak with what heaven's saying. (laughs) You know, nations are in turmoil, and the psalmist says, stop driving, shut up and listen. Basically. Derek Prince, when he was writing about Evan Roberts, he actually quoted Evan's prayer a little bit differently and I actually really like it. I can't find the source of it, but it's in his it's in his books. His quote of Evan Roberts was bend the church and bow the world. Bend the church and bow the world. I I love that idea that that the the godless nations of the earth, the godless leaders are gonna be bowed, bent. The actual context of that bent was speaking to the nations. We we talked a couple weeks ago about, just a few weeks back about the lie that held Hitler captive. It was a deception that made Hitler believe that troops were coming, either the attack was coming from the north or the south, and he was so convinced of the lie that he waited seven weeks before he backed up the tr- his troops at Normandy. He was so convinced by the lie. And every every history account you read will make the statement, we have no idea why Hitler waited that long. There's no rational reason. There's no, there's no logical reason. There's no physical evidence. There's nothing... That would have held all those supporting troops at bay for seven weeks. What history writers don't know is that in a little house in Wales, Reese Howells and his team were interceding. And their intercession through that same time period, exact same time period, was Ben Hitler. Ben Hitler. Ben Hitler, Ben Hitler, Ben Hitler. For weeks, they interceded, Bend Hitler, Bend Hitler. In the spirit realm, we understand why he waited seven weeks. Because there was an intercessory team declaring something that then takes place in the natural realm. So I would like to suggest a current intercession. Ben Trump. Ben Biden. Ben Harris. Ben Pelosi. Ben Schumer. Why not? Why not? What if the body of Christ began to hear heaven and begin to intercede and begin to ask the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts and lives of our political figures and bend them into conformity with the will of God instead of panicking that it's not happening like we thought it should happen. Enough, politi- enough politics for this morning. Maybe not maybe one more statement. Sam was praying three weeks ago, Sam Matthews, who's part of the team that we work on, and I heard the spirit say this three weeks ago: "If the left wins, we lose. If the right wins, we lose. Only if the kingdom wins do we win." What if the body of Christ was the unifying voice for the kingdom? What if the body of Christ could intercede to see the kingdom manifest in our nation in this season? What if we came out of our political corners and we all have strong opinions. I have strong opinions. But I need to be bent. Until his will is my will. <clears throat> Over the United States I declare. It will no longer be said to you forsaken. Nor your land will it any longer say desolate. But you will call, be called my delight is in her. My delight is in her. Stand up with me. I just want us to do a prophetic act right now. My delight is in her. My delight is in her. My delight is in her. Father, we just cry out for our nation right now. We cry out for your body, for your church. Bend us, Lord. 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 Bend us into submission with your will. Bend us into conformity with your, with your, to your heart. Bend us, Lord, till your words become our words. Bend us so we can participate in your victory in this season as your revival and awakening sweeps across this earth, as billions of souls are drawn in. Father, we want to participate with you. We want to celebrate in your victory. Bend us, Lord. Bend us, bend us, bend us. Bend us away from political correctness and bend us away from fear of man and all those things that hold us captive. Bend us, Lord. Bend the leaders in our nation right now. You name the ones you want to name at this moment. Bend us, Lord. Bend us. So that your glory can touch the earth and nation after nation after nation after nation. If you, just in your own heart this morning, know you need to be bent, I just want you to come and stand at the front. We're not going to have a ministry team. I just want you to come stand with me in the front. We want to just declare as a body. We want to declare as a body of people, bend us, Lord. Bend us, Lord. Bend us, Lord. And you just out of your own heart and with your own words, just begin to make that declaration. Just begin to cry that out. Testimonies we're hearing right now from the Muslim world. There is a move into the kingdom unlike anything we've ever experienced in our lifetime. Shifting, taking place. There's something happening. There's a bending away from false doctrine into a revelation of a Savior. Bend Bend us, Lord. 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 I want you to just listen as I read these words over you. My stubborn will at last has yielded. I would be thine and thine alone. And this, the prayer my lips are bringing. Lord, let in me thy will be done. Sweet will of God, still fold me closer till I am wholly lost in thee. I'm tired of sin, footsore and weary. The darksome path has dreary grown. But now a light has risen to cheer me. I find in thee my star, my son. Sweet will of God, still fold me closer till I am wholly lost in thee. Thy precious will, O conquering Savior, doth now embrace and compass me. The storms have ceased, my peace a river, my, pri- my soul a prison bird set free. It was written by a young lady named Lila Morris in 1900 just before the Welsh Revival. Lila Morris went to a holiness camp meeting. And in that camp meeting, she later wrote, she said, in that camp meeting, I surrendered myself to the precious Holy Spirit. She went home at the age of 30, She was an organist at the Methodist church. And she began to write write hymns. She wrote over a thousand hymns over the next years of her life. At the age 50, she went blind. Her son built her an 18-foot-long blackboard with music staffs on it, and she continued to write hymns for the rest of her life, blind. Sweet will of God. I'm not saying blindness was the will of God, don't Don't go shoot me yet. But your circumstances don't dictate your obedience to the will. No plan, plot of the enemy, no COVID, no heart condition. Nothing can stand against the precious will of God being released through our life. And it's time for the body of Christ to shake off the circumstantial divination that we live in, and to become a people so surrendered, so bent to him. Mm -hmm. So, Father, come as we stand before you. We invite your precious Holy Spirit to bend us. Invite us into intimacy. Invite us into a place of fellowship that changes us forever. And we pray that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.